praise God. Hallelujah. Mm, 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 mm. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. John chapter 5 tonight, fifth day. And uh, let's see what God has to say to us tonight. Amen. Praise God. We welcome you guys to the fifth day of this fasting. And we pray that Jesus will continue to reveal himself and just manifest himself in all of our lives. Amen. Oh, boy, that was good. Praise God. John chapter 5. Amen. Has anybody learned anything over these last few days? Amen. Praise God. Let's not just be learners alone. Let's become doers of what we're learning. That's where the result really begins to manifest itself. Amen. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there's in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at the certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, Who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So, we're going to break this down into two tonight. First, let's deal with this miracle that Jesus just walked. And as we saw in, just, in that verse 16, as a result of the miracle, the Jews began to persecute Jesus for one reason only. Because he healed somebody on the Sabbath day. So the first 16 verses talks about the miracle at the pool. And in the rest of the chapter, Jesus uses to defend his position on doing what he had done. And there is a whole lot you and I can learn from Jesus' answer to these religious bigots. So beginning now, back to verse 1 in this chapter. And we dealt with this almost a year ago now when we did the Nehemiah fast. And we talked about the ship gate. It's interesting that it's coming up again now. So I may not go as, in as much details tonight on this particular aspect because I want to make sure we have enough time to cover Jesus' answers to these Pharisees. But the point here is 
This man was in Bethesda, which means a house of mercy. It's in Jerusalem and at the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate, if you recall, is the very, uh, is the first gate in Nehemiah's 12 gates that surrounded the city and the temple. And this is significant because this is the gate through which all the animal sacrifices coming to Israel entered Jerusalem. So it's very significant that this miracle and this house of mercy is built at a place called the Sheep Gate. And by the way, for those of you that's, that has a plan to go to Israel or do a tour uh, in that part of the world, this place exists still today. They have located it. It's very pristine, not touched, and it's just as the Bible describes it. It's amazing. Okay? It's still there. Yes. Now, we are told in verse 3 that there is a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, that were just in this particular place waiting for the moving of the water. Anytime in scripture you see the water, it can only mean two things. The word of God or the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So there's the legend, the stories in Israel that there's this place and a certain time of the year an angel comes into this pool and there's a moving of the water and whoever gets in the water first after the moving of the water gets healed. Now, let, let me leave that for uh, later. But we're also told that this man, this particular man that Jesus is addressing, he's been laying there for 38 years. How many of you know that 38 years is a long time? That's enough time to make a situation as bad become normal. You become accustomed, conditioned to that situation until it becomes the norm. So for 38 years, this guy really has believed a lie. Because the legend says an angel comes to the water and stirs it up. And the first person in the water or in the pool gets healed. I do not have to be a Bible scholar to know that that would not be the way God orchestrated things. Because what this means is the person that gets healed is the survival of the fittest. Totally unlike God. To leave a bunch of people that are sick, lame, paralyzed, and the water stirs up, and whoever can get there first is the only one that gets healed. That speaks to our worldly uh, system where only those that can manage to be number one or number two in your credentials has a chance. Hello? Only those that have a 4.0 GPA can make it. Only those that go to a specific kind of schools can make it. Only those that have a specific kind of qualifications can make it. And so this man believed that. But not only that, he went on to tell Jesus, you know what, Jesus? I don't have a man. I don't have somebody. I don't have a godfather. I don't have somebody in this system who can speak in my behalf. And therefore, I'm resigned to this state and I've been here for 38 years. Mind you, Mr. Mercy is standing before him, asking him, will you be made well? Oh, Jesus, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you why everybody can get well. But in my case, I don't have a godfather. I am praying that all the anomalies that we've lived with, that we've become classically conditioned to, that we've embraced and accepted as norm, that Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy can disabuse us of those things and deliver us in spite of ourselves. Because this man did not want deliverance. Because Jesus simply asked me a question, will you be made whole? 
The answer is simple, yes or no. And I also pray that every system that you and I has had as a crutch, other than God himself, that God would dismantle them. You see, because after he dismantles those systems, then you have no other recourse but to trust him. Let me just go on. Jesus only said one thing to this guy, verse 8. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. He listened to him, but totally almost disregarded what he said. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately, the man was made well. Took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Folks, we've been saying it from day one on Monday night. God is only looking for this who is going to believe him. Take him at his word. I mean, this man has been laying there for 38 years. And all Jesus had to say was just make one sentence, rise up. Take up your bed and walk. What I'm saying to us is when God speaks a word, when he speaks to us, the power to obey, the power to do it is within the word that is spoken. I'm hearing people say, okay, yes, I hear Jesus. He was in the person. He was in the flesh. He was right there with this guy. Yes, I can see Jesus. I see his beard. He's the Jew. Jesus Christ speaking to the man. Maybe that's why, that's why the man walked. In other words, people make excuses that it was Jesus in the flesh who spoke to this man, and therefore it happened for him and for us. Maybe it's a different situation. It's not so. Why is it not so? Go to, with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We just need to believe God. When Jesus speaks... If we just believe it, we can receive it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. How did I come? In the volume of the book. In other words, the same way Jesus spoke to that man at the pool that day, today, he may not be here physically speaking to your face, but he comes in the volume of the book. He comes in the volume of the book. As you are reading the book, this is the book. As you are reading the book, he is jumping off the pages into your life to bring the same result that happened in that man's life. That's how it happens. You read the word of God. You see what God said about you, about your situation. And you embrace it. You say, God, this is what you said. And you begin to meditate on that word. And sooner or later, the word produces. The scripture works, folks. The scriptures work. Let me read one more verse and then I need to move on. First, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Look at verse 4. By which we have been given, rather, I'm sorry, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through this you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You and I have been given, the Bible says, exceeding and great promises. And these promises come to us in the form of a book. Folks, you cannot pay a preacher enough to read a book for you. Because when you need God, you better know this for yourself. And we are getting to a generation, more and more, getting away from reading the book. And then when we get into trouble, we are looking for a prayer contractor. Amen? 
So what I'm saying to us is, just as in John chapter 5, Jesus walked into the situation, Jesus is here right now. He's here. But he's looking for those who have their faith antenna out and able and willing to receive what he has for us. Now, let's really go to the meat of this chapter tonight. So we see that Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, healed the man that's been laying there for 38 years. The man rose up, carried his bed, and walked. And all H-E-L-L broke out. The leaders are saying, wait a minute. How dare you heal a human being on Sabbath day? Surely you cannot be from God. Can you imagine that? They were upset with Jesus that he had desecrated the Sabbath. Because they had no idea that they, in fact, have distorted what is about this. Let's go back. What is the Sabbath? Rest of God. Is it a time of inactivity or vacation? No. It's not a vacation from work. We made that clear. And it's not a location that's been in the promised land. Psalms 95. When God rested on his seventh day, it was out of a satisfaction of looking at a job that's been well done and say, this is well done. I rest my case, I lay back because I look up all what I've created and I can certify it is well done. It is not an inactivity or a vacation from work or a vacation from working. So these guys were very upset with Jesus, want to kill him because he had healed on the Sabbath day. Now, let's look at what Jesus says to them. John chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now. And I have been working. Whoa. So now, Jesus begins to give them eight reasons or eight keys that pertains to why he did what he did and gives him the authority to do what he's doing. So the first thing he says to them is, my father has been working up till now. And because my father works, I work. Whoa. These guys can't take that at all. Because what Jesus is saying, number one, is I'm a reflection of my father. Now, this is important for all of us. Because the truth is, if we are going to work with Jesus, he cannot just be a reflection of his father. We also must be a reflection of him. So this is what he's saying. My father works until now, and I also work. Ladies and gentlemen, since the creation, as the sun continues to shine, does the star continue to, 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 to appear in the skies? The waves continue to go back and forth? Who makes those things happen? So if God does not do anything else any longer, how would those things continue to be? So Jesus is saying to them, you guys are foolish. My father is working, and I'm working. If God is not working, you won't be here. But not only that, the most significant work God ever did, apart from Jesus coming, was right there in Genesis chapter 3, right after his Sabbath. Jesus, I mean, God himself broke his Sabbath when man got in trouble in the Garden of Eden. God had to go into that garden, break his Sabbath to rescue Adam. So if God did that to rescue mankind, after he had declared a Sabbath, you are now telling me that that same God cannot heal a human being on the Sabbath that the Jews have put on their calendar? So he says, I'm a reflection of my father. 
what my father is doing is what I'm doing. Number one. He's defending himself. Okay? Number two. In verse 18. Let me just jump to verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. The second thing he's telling them is, his dependency on his father. Remember, Jesus didn't do any miracles for the first 30 years. Nothing. Okay? So here, he's telling them that he's been empowered by his father to do what he's doing. Because for Adam, and for generations after Adam, after the tree, after the head of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened? They gained independence. Whereby they are making decisions and doing things based on what they think is good or not good. So what Jesus is saying is, I have eaten of the tree of life. My dependency for what I do, my cue for what I do does not come on the knowledge of good and evil. It's totally dependent on what I see my father do. I don't follow any other script but my father's. And we will be better served if we're going to work with God to recognize that the knowledge of good and evil will not serve us in the kingdom of God. We have, like Jesus Christ, to take our cues from God. Okay, let, let me break it down better than that. For all of us here tonight, everything you did today, how many of you did you acknowledge God in before you did, before you went on your house this morning, did you ask, ask, ask God how your day is going to be? If you did, congratulations. If you did not, you've been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Folks, this thing is not rocket science. It's not, it's not really. It, it, it's so simple, it's profound. In other words, God says, okay, every living day that I'm giving you, David, I want you to acknowledge me. I want you to consciously say to me, I want you to consciously understand that even as much as opening the door to, to get out of your house, I have to empower you to do so. I want to get in your car and drive with you when you're going. All your customers, all your clients, the people you have to deal with, I want you to consciously be aware that I'm the one directing everything you're saying to them. And the way we make that happen is when we talk to him in prayer. Dependency. But unfortunately, because we live in two worlds, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, many times, most of us, do not acknowledge him. We take these things for granted. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way I operate. The reason I can do what I've done, the reason I know there is a Sabbath and I can go in and do what I'm doing is because I'm getting my cues from my father. I'm not doing it on my own. And that's why his father backs him up when he's done what he's doing. Oh, man. It's like I'm swimming against the stream tonight. This is true. Dependency. The only way we prove or demonstrate dependence of God is that we bring every issue to him. I told you the other night, something as simple as running out of wine, Jesus got involved in it. Something so ordinary, somebody's party, running out of wine, Jesus stepped in and turned the situation around. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil makes us think he does not want to be involved in every detail of our life. Yet it says to me, it says to us, in all of thy ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your path. Psalms 23, does he not say, yes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He wants to lead us. 
But we don't want to be led. We want our heads to lead us. And he said, listen, I know where you're going. I know the end result. Let me lead you because you don't know what's going to happen on the, at the end of the road. So, and I know that many of us here are very accomplished. we very intelligent intellectuals. But God is just saying to you, listen, let me figure out your life for you. I can do a better job of that than you can. Amen? Okay, okay, let me move on right here. Wow, time is flying. So he's telling them these things. So number one, he says, I reflect, I'm a reflection of the Father. Number two, I depend on the Father. Number three, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Oh my gosh. So first he tells them, hey, I'm, a I'm the reflection of my Father. Number two, I'm dependent on my Father. Number three, I am secured in my Father. I am secured because he loves me. And because he loves me, he shows me everything he's doing. Later on in the book of John, we're going to see where Jesus made a promise that those that love him will obey his commandment. And that for those who obey him, he himself and his father will come and make their abode with them. In other words, I will no longer call you servants, but friends. Everything I'm doing, I'm going to show it to you. So Jesus is saying here, I'm able to do the things I do because I'm secured in my father's love. And you may be here tonight, you say, wait a minute, this love thing, you guys have been saying this over and over and over and over. I'm just not quite sure because I had a bad home setting. Maybe daddy was not there, mommy was not there, your siblings were riotous, things happened, and you just can't appreciate this love of God. But I want you to know, the greatest demonstration of love in your life is what Jesus did on the cross. Romans 5.8. You should write that, put it on your refrigerator, put it in every place, look at it all the time, just so you can appreciate the fact that God paid the ultimate, ultimate price because of his love for us. So Jesus is saying, I'm secured in that love. And you and I also need to be secured in that love. For God so demonstrates his love in that while we are yes in us, Christ died for the ungodly. That's powerful. So he reflects, he's dependent on God, is secured in God. And number four here in verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all shall honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And on and on through verse 29. But let me just break it down. Let's just make that very plain to us. So first he says, I'm a reflection of the Father. Next he says, I depend on the Father. Then he says, I'm secured in the Father's love. And now, in this number four thing, he says, I'm in harmony with the Father. And you need to really understand this because you need to understand what the Jews are saying. The Jews taught that there are three keys to God. Three keys that make God God in their definition. Number one, that God has the keys of heaven in the sense that only God can send rain. Number two, they believe that only God can give children. That God is also the key to the womb. Rain, the womb, and thirdly, they also taught and believe that only God has the key to the grave. So immediately, Jesus starts telling them that the Father gives lives and the Son can give life to anyone he wills. Wait a minute. Immediately, they understood what Jesus was saying. That I am like my Father. I am God. Because they already believed that those keys only belong to God. 
rain in the heaven, womb for children, and their grave. And Jesus is saying that those in the grave, the day will come when they'll hear his voice. So Jesus was sending a message that what they saw that day about him healing the person on the Sabbath day was not just something that happened in isolation. In other words, you can expect more of the same. And I'm saying to you tonight that you and I must reflect, reflect who God is. We must become dependent on God. We must be secured in knowing that God loves us. But besides that, our lifestyle must and should be in harmony with the fathers. Everything Jesus is doing, it boils it down to one thing, and that is his father. His sole purpose was to please his father. This is huge. His entire life was wrapped up in fulfilling and pleasing his father. Then verse 30, John chapter 5 verse 30, Jesus made it clear that I can of my own self do nothing. What? In other words, he was telling them that he was totally, completely submitted to his father's will. And you remember the story at his crucifixion when he was asking the father, is it possible that this cup will pass over me? And he immediately said, not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If we ask that question tonight, whose will are you living? Whose will are you living? Your will, your agenda, or God's agenda? And as long as we live on this side of the earth, I think God is constantly trying to adjust you and I to a place and a, and a, and a, and a point where our lives can be totally attuned to his will. We live for him. We, we, we talk for him. We serve for him. We are totally submitted to his will and purpose. That's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus could do the things he did. <laughs> you see, I, 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 I'm looking at the congregation. Everybody wants to enter into that rest. You need to understand that rest costs God everything. Everything. It's available and he's given us the grace to do everything he wants us to do. The grace is there. We just have to embrace it and walk in it by faith. Okay. John chapter 5, verse 31. John 5, 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I did not receive testimony from mine, but I said these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you are willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which, my, which the Father has given to me to finish, the very works that I do, be a witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent you do not believe. Let me just stop right there. So the next thing Jesus tells them is the validation he has from the Father. And he gives three things there. He said, number one, you heard the witness of John the Baptist. How in John chapter 1 verse 29, he says to all of you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You heard it. He said, if you don't believe that, you've seen the works that I've done. So John said it, you saw my work. He said, but beyond and above all of that, as good as those things were, how about the witness of the Father himself? How when he stood 
to be baptized in Jordan, the heavens opened and a voice was heard from heaven where the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Whose witness do you want? But the point he really made at the end was, as good as John's was, and as good as the miracles he did was, he was saying to them, those two you can even refute. But my father's voice, the God that you say you believe in, you heard his voice. He said it openly. Behold, this is my beloved son, in whom I well placed. What's the point for me and you? What's the takeaway? You and I should only live to the audience of one person. Only the audience of one. You and I should only live for the validation of one person. Not your husband, not your wife, not your children, not your employers, but God. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. His entire agenda. You saw it. When his mother was looking for him. He made it clear. Don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? There's no other business. None. When the mother was pulling on him, to multiply the wine, to, to, to supply wine. Say, woman, my hour is not yet. And that was not a, uh, uh, he was not trying to put his mother down. It's just that he was so focused on his agenda. He knew his mission. And he was not there to please anybody else. How many people are we pleasing? How many people's validation do we need on a day-to-day basis to even just get up in the morning? And even if God validates us, we are not satisfied because Jeff has not done it. Bank didn't do it. The body didn't do it. Sally didn't do it. John didn't do it. So we're still depressed, which is an indication that something is wrong with us. But Jesus was very focused. There's only one validation was looking for, his father. Amen? Verse 39. Verse 39. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Verse 41, I did not receive honor from men. Wow. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. Wow, 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 wow. I have come in my father's name and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek honor that comes from the only God? So here, Jesus is sealing his case. And basically just tells them the only honor he looks for is from his father. It's from his father. The only honor that moves him is the, is the honor that comes from his father. But he made, a, he, he, said, he made a statement here, which we don't have time to really address, which can really be a reference to the Antichrist. He said, if another comes in his own name, you receive him. Antichrist. He said, but I, didn't come, I came in the name of my father, and you don't receive me. Because you don't know God. What am I saying? Jesus sought and reverse his father's honor. You and I should also live for the honor that God places upon us. Amen? One last point. One last point. In verse, verse 45. Do you not think that I shall accuse you to the father? There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me. Why? And this is what we've been saying all along. For he wrote about me. Jesus is saying to us that the Old Testament was written about him. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus, by implication, is saying, even you guys, you think you really honor the love of Moses? You're lying to yourself. Because if you did, everything Moses wrote, all the sacrifices, they pointed to me. So the point he's making here is, I'm just going to be silent about you. I'm not going to spend my time talking to God about how nasty you guys are. 
What's the point for me and you? Don't waste your time in prayer pointing to this one or the other one to God. God sees everybody. He knows where we are. He knows who's doing what and who's not doing what. Don't take the so-called your enemies to God. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. So the essence of everything Jesus said here, what he was saying to those Pharisees is, I do what I do by the authority of my relationship with my father. That's what it boils down to. And that's the reason we're having this fast. You and I want to engage in an intimate relationship with God. That's where the result is, folks. It's, it's, it's relationship. That's the currency of the spirit. It's always been. The only thing we spend is our relationship with God. Jesus does not want me and you to just use his name, but he wants, you, he wants us to really be with him. In him we live and move and have a being. So everything he said to them in his answer, why do you do these things? Why do you value the Sabbath? He just went on the list and just told them, I reflect on my father. I um, depend on my father. I'm secured in his love. I'm in harmony with him. I receive my validation from him. I receive my honor from him. On and on and on. I'm, and, and, and I'm silent about you guys. I'm not even going to go, to, going to go there with you guys. We can start. I, I, want to, I want to throw a challenge out. I want to throw a 24-hour challenge. By this time tomorrow night. If you will just take those first three points. And get to that place where you begin to reflect on the Father. God, what are you doing? Ask him. Don't just rush out of your house in the morning. Ask God, Father, what's your agenda for today? Consciously open your mouth and ask him. Father, what is on your heart for today? Number one question. Number two, how can I be involved in that agenda? Ask him. I don't know about you guys, but I am tired of living a life in the mundane. But the only way we're going to get the results that we read about, we've got to be aligned Ask him, what is your, what's on your heart today, God? How can I, bank, be involved in your agenda today? Can you show me, Father, what the agenda is today? Now, I know some of us are very organized. We have to have to-do lists, and that's fine. But what I'm saying is before you write your to-do list, ask him. Ask him. In 24 hours, by this time tomorrow night, if you do what I'm saying, you have testimonies. You will. Because he's eager to reveal himself. The only thing is, we walk right by him. We've been so full of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know everything, what to do, when to do it, who to do it with. We don't ask him. And then we get in a jam. We say, God, help us. Knee-jerk re- knee reaction. But he said, listen, I want to get involved. I created you for my own pleasure. For my purpose. Is there anybody that will try God right here tonight? Because on Sunday morning, I'm going to bring you up here. You're going to share a testimony. No. I have confidence. I'm not saying that as a threat. I'm not saying that to put you in a in a box. But I'm so confident that if we involve God, He will show up. He said, "I stand at the door. I'm knocking. Will anybody open up? Nobody wants to open. Relationship, Father. In the name of Jesus, we truly want to dine at the tree of life." whereby your life is infused in us. 
And everything we do and say will be as a direct result of your motivation and your inspiration. And so, Lord, I pray for as many as willing to invite you in, God, that you show them great and mighty things of which we know not. God, that we're going to invite you to be a part of your, we're going to invite ourselves to be a part of your agenda. Whereby you show us, you lead us, you guide us, as we've read so beautifully. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to partake with you. Thank you, Father God, for your grace. We receive you tonight. And yes, Lord, we thank you for the testimonies of what you have done and what you reveal to as many as we seek you and ask you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So there is no meeting tomorrow night. You know that. And we just meet on Sunday uh, for regular service. Uh, there is a special service going on here on Sunday, tomorrow, right? right at 3 p.m. The service of songs. Uh, oh, 4 p.m. I'm sorry, 4 o'clock. And uh, pace yourself. Week one is almost over. Amen? God bless you. We love you.